0: Well, let's pray together. Father, you have called us by the wonderful grace of your Son that is bought by the work of Christ. You have called us by nothing other than your love. It was not of our duty. It was not of our effort. It was not of our affection, our striving, nor of any love that we had for you but that you first loved us. Father, would you drive that into our hearts this morning? Would you use your word to bind us by the love that you have for us to our neighbor? That we might be a loving community that is based solely upon the love that you have for us. Father, make it so in the presence of this community. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2012, a man named David Austin made the leap into off grid living. He wanted to prove that he could live independently of other people for a whole year. So he ventured off into the Scottish Highlands on December 29th. Sadly, he survived only a few days. Officially, Austin died of overexposure and hypothermia. Though the story is tragic, David Austin reflects a lot of our modern mindset in the action that led to his death. Namely, that we don't need other people and that we're strong enough to survive without others on our own. Well, the recent pandemic has only inflamed the situation. Uh, It's made us lonelier than ever and more inclined to pull away rather than to push in. However, this trend is nothing new. Uh, It's been going on a while in the American church, certainly. Uh, It seems that 63% of Americans claim to be Christians. But only 24% of those attend church on a regular basis. See, Christianity has become the off-grid religion of the United States. But that's not the way that God intended it to be. Uh, Life in the community of believers ought to be the norm for the people of God. It is not to be neglected, but so much more. Uh, It's even uh, upon a reflection of the way that we love God ourselves. As we live in the community. See, in Galatians, Paul calls a Christian church back to hope in the gospel. They're a church that's turned from the gospel and they've run toward law. And in the process, they have lost their love for each other as they've lost their love for God. And Paul calls them to live as the loving community of the people of God Because of the gospel. He tells them that the body is given to them as a grace to reveal how the gospel is being applied in their life. In short, he tells them that if you're comparing yourself, if you're dealing harshly with others, then you're not living in the light of the gospel. If you have a Bible Open it with me and turn to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we'll be this morning. We'll begin in verse 13 and we'll work all the way through verse 26. Galatians five, thirteen through 26. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh." I lost my place, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sexuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. See, Paul calls us back in this text to a love for the church, showing us that if we do not love others, if we do not love the church, we are not living in light of a love for God that comes from the gospel. So I ask you, in light of this text, how well do you do at loving others? Do you believe that loving others is important? Or do you treat them as an obstacle or as a tool for self-gratification? See, when Jesus is asked in the Gospels, what's the most important commandment by those religious leaders of his day, he tells them that the most important commandment is to love God with all that you are. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says, and the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commands echo Paul's flow of thought through chapter 5 in Galatians. And if you read just before this, we see how God uh, is loving, loving God is the work of the gospel, that God calls his people to love him. And that is what the gospel is meant to produce. But this week's big idea takes that a step further, and it says that loving God directly corresponds to a love for others. Loving God directly corresponds to a love for others. In this text, Paul shows us how that works in at least three ways. If, if you have an outline, turn to that now. You can follow along as I work through the text that's on the back of your bulletin. Three ways that loving God directly corresponds to a love for others. Number one, loving others indicates a love for God. Loving others indicates a love for God. You know, sometimes things can become so well known that we lose their meaning entirely. That we just don't understand them at all. Take, for example, that, uh, that famous Elton John song, that Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. Do you know the one? <laughs> or maybe the, the popular Credence Clearwater revival song, There's a Bathroom on the Right. Do you know that? Are you familiar with that? It doesn't matter how many times you listen to those songs. If you don't know the lyrics, you're never going to understand them. You're never going to understand the context of that song. Well, the fruit of the Spirit, as this passage is often described as, is a well-known passage. Do you know the song? Can you sing it in your head? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Come on, join in. You know the song. Well, Paul didn't suddenly come to Galatians 5 and to decide to, to pen a song about the fruit of the Spirit. It it comes as a part of the larger argument of the book of Galatians. And contextually here, it's all framed in the way that we love others. And if we miss that point, we'll never understand the song. Uh, Take a look at the text. In verse 13, he begins by saying, "...for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another." For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Then we see the fruit of the flesh, and then Paul goes into the fruit of the Spirit, and then he frames the other end. He bookends it with verse 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. That's an interpretive clue that the fruit of the Spirit here operates within the confines of your human relationships. Do you see the clue? That framing puts it in the perspective, puts the fruit of the Spirit squarely in the perspective of your human relationships, namely your relationships within the church. And this chapter started with the way that you love God and it ends with the necessary fruit that comes of that in loving others. Well, that makes sense. After all, God loves his people, and if you love God, so will you. If I love God and I love others, I cannot love God without loving his people any more than I can love the Patriots without loving Tom Brady. Is that too soon? <laughs> but another one? Any more than I can love my wife without loving her personality? the two are inseparable. Because God loves his people, if I'm loving God, I am loving them as well. And that means that your love for God will not remain private. Just as loving your wife means loving all of her, so loving God means loving what he loves. And it means that your love for God must be displayed in the community. Which means you need to be In the community of believers in order to see the fruit. That matches the testimony of all, of scripture. Uh, Whoever loves his brother, John writes, abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Uh, Jesus says, you will, you will, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. If you are following Jesus, you will love one another. It's the byproduct. The fruit of loving God is first a love for all his people. That's what Paul is saying here, that loving others indicates that we have a love for God. But conversely, we could take that point and turn it upside down. It has interesting implications because, number two, loving others is impossible without a love for God. Loving others is impossible without a love for God. Now, maybe you wonder if that's even true. You know, pastors and preachers have a way of making sensational claims, don't they? Those guys. They do it all the time. But don't ignore this one. It's sensational, yes, but is it untrue? I don't think it is. Loving others is impossible without a love for God. If loving others directly corresponds to our love for God, then the inverse has to be true. And and I believe that's what Paul is saying here. Just look at his argument. He begins in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, Paul in this text compares the fruit of the Spirit to the fruit of the flesh. He says that the the fruit of the flesh leads to all sorts of ways in which we do not love each other. There's enmity, there's strife, there's jealousy, there's fits of anger, there's rivalries, dissensions, envy, divisions we can see how those types of things would cause us not to love one another. But then there's sexual immorality, there's idolatry, there's sorcery. Strangely enough, Paul says that all of this compromises and it kills your love for each other. That you cannot love one another as long as you're living in the flesh in that way. And he's saying that the the flesh is contrary to the spirit. That means that the fruit of the flesh kills our loves for others. And and that's the only thing then that the flesh can produce. So just as we're born with desires that oppose God, so we are born opposing others and not loving them. Maybe you wonder, is that even true to life? Well, the old example is children. No one teaches a child to be naughty. They take from each other, they bite, they scratch to get what they want. They're not angels, right? If you have kids, you know. They're bags of sin, walking around, looking for opportunity. They're fun and you love them. I love mine. But that doesn't change the reality. They're sinful. And I have more of them than you, so you can't argue. Uh, by the way, they, they grow up, don't they? And they grow up to be you. And those childlike sins of stubbornness over bedtime, selfishness with toys, those things that used to be so cute and innocent, well, they blossom as an adult. And they blossom into sexual immorality, idolatry, everything else that Paul mentions. And no one has to teach you to be that way. You're born that way. You wake up in the morning desiring sexual immorality. You desire idolatry. You wake up with enmity, searching for someone to hate, with envy, with strife, with jealousy over what people have. You wake up prone to anger. And all of those things are fruits of the flesh. That's natural to us. No one puts those things on. And while you may, as an adult, be better at containing some of those outcomes without a love for God, they do tend to leak out of you, don't they? Because we have a craving for what the flesh gets us. And what it gets us is gratification. What it gets us is short-term acceptance, perceived peace, all of which we apply within our relationships. See, Relationships without a love for God are always built upon our own benefit. And maybe you say, that's not me, or... Or I'm oversimplifying here. And I say that it's very common to spiritualize our desires, to spiritualize our relationships. We we can see a path. It feels good. It looks good. and, And it can even be reasonably good by our own metric. However, the desires of the flesh and the spirit are against each other. And they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And you want to do the things of the flesh. That's natural. We all have fleshly desires that are contrary to the Spirit. And you know as well as I do that they're not weak desires. They're strong desires. They're desires that are in your self-interest. And they tend to run against the good pleasure of God's will. And they can be desires that would resist us from pressing into the church. And excuses that are made. Like, oh, that church is a mess. Or maybe it's in the best interest of health to keep my distance. Fill in the blank. Don't assume that your independent reasons of the flesh are of the best interest of your spiritual life. Nor apply them as sanctified automatically. Maybe you think you're naturally a loving person without God. So Paul says that your flesh is manipulative, that it's self seeking. But it's always looking for gratification. And the reality that scripture gives us is that we're more like Lenny Small in the book of Mice and Men. You remember the book of Mice and Men? Uh, Lenny Small is a character in the book, a huge, imposing character, and he dreams of having a ranch of rabbits because he loves to pet rabbits and he loves to pet anything that's soft. But Lenny Small's problem Is that he could not control his imposing frame. He could not control his strength. And so everything that he touched, he killed. And every rabbit that he tried to pet, he would only kill. He would destroy. And in your flesh, Paul is saying, you're more like Lenny Small than what your mind would have you believe. For all your good intentions, you can only destroy. You want to love, but you only have the capacity to destroy in the flesh. Consider for a moment how the world tries to love. It expresses love as affirmation. That's what love means to the world. And as a result, the fleshly world affirms all sorts of lifestyles, including a homosexual lifestyle, which the Bible clearly condemns. And it calls that affirmation love. But that lifestyle is a catastrophe. It's a lifestyle that that leads to death. And to affirm it is not to love, it's to kill. Only by the Spirit can we graciously and pointedly love with the Gospel. That's what all of our best efforts look like in loving others, but they cannot be loved. They're only an attempt to gain something from others. But by the Spirit we have a competing nature. That's the good news of the gospel. One comes through the gospel and it's applied to us by the Spirit as we live out the gospel. And only in that nature can we truly love others. Because it is the only one capable of loving God. In the flesh you cannot love God. In the Spirit you can. And as you walk by the Spirit with intention... As you apply the gospel to your life, then, and only then, will you love others. The gospel is deficient in our life when we are not loving others, when we become that user of others. Loving others indicates a love for God. Second, loving others is impossible without God. But finally, loving others is visible When we are loving God, loving others is visible when we are loving God. Paul writes in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, Paul is saying that love for your neighbor that comes from the gospel work of loving God is not some mushy or nostalgic love. It's not a locket that you wear around your neck that no one sees your love for God. It's displayed in what you do. That's why he says in verse 21, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's Paul's platform here. Amid the discussion on the heart of the gospel being an active rest in the work of God and not from the inheritance of your works, Paul says that this is what you do in light of that. <clears throat> not because this is the work that earns God's favor, but because it's the evidence of the life lived in the application of God's favor. See, when I am a son of God and I'm delighted in him and I'm fulfilled by the spiritual revelation of my need for a savior and the satisfaction of that need that's met in Jesus, then I will stop seeking to apply that need with something else. I will stop using people in relationships. I will stop pursuing sexual immorality and idolatry and things like these. And my love for God in the gospel will transform my relationships into genuine and pure, loving relationships. It's the evidence that I'm believing all of the gospel. Recently, Hannah and I bought a car. Before we bought that car, I'd been shopping for a car that met several criteria. First, I needed it to be big enough for our family. Second, I needed it to have right around 50,000 miles. And third, I needed right about this price point, which is undisclosed. (laughs) And I searched many dealerships. And many uh, dealerships turned up nothing in the area. And so I went to auto websites. I used autotrader.com. Didn't find anything too specific there. And then I searched cars.com. And finally, I found the right one in Baltimore, Maryland. There was the right car. And you know what? When I found that car that met all three criteria, I was glad to buy it because it fit the needs. And the next day when I woke up, do you know what I didn't do? I didn't search for a car because I had a car that fit my family. I had one that had the right mileage. I had one that was the right price. I found what I was looking for. The car satisfied the need. And the gospel works exactly the same way. When you find the gospel, it satisfies all your needs and your searching stops. You have believed that the gospel checks all the boxes of your most pressing needs. And you end your search that day. You don't have to use others for sexual immorality, for impurity, for idolatry, and on and on and on. Your needs are met in Christ. And if you continue to search, then either the gospel is defective or it isn't meeting your needs. So where's the problem? Is the gospel defective? Is it bad news that we've miscategorized for 2,000 years? Is church history wrong about the gospel? Have men gone to their deaths for misidentification? Or is it more likely that it isn't meeting your needs because you aren't living in the full breadth of the gospel. See, Paul says that you don't know the breadth of the gospel if it has not affected your relationships. If you continue to do sexual immorality, if you continue to do impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, all of the above, if anger is still an issue, if you're still jealous, if you're dividing unnecessarily, If there's envy in your heart, things like these, if that's the case, then the gospel is misunderstood in your heart. It's misunderstood in its application, and you need to revisit it. See, the gospel is not advice to straighten up from these things. We so badly want a list, don't we? We turn the fruit of the Spirit into a list. All right, I'll just be more loving. I'll just be more joyful, good, All those things. The fruit of the Spirit is not a list, per se, of things to do. It's not advice to straighten up. It's the spiritual application of the gospel and the result that comes when the gospel is being applied rightly. Therefore, therefore, the evidence of your love for God is in your love for your neighbor. It runs parallel to it when I'm totally loved and accepted when I'm satisfied in the gospel at peace with God the fruit of the spirit come out of me and they're displayed as I interact with others Paul Tripp uses a simple illustration when your cup of water spills what comes out what comes out is is water But, but why water Well, because that's what's in the cup, right? That's pretty simple. And when you're in relationships, church, I don't have to tell you, your cup is often spilled. But what comes out when your cup is spilled? Is it love? Is it joy? Is it peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? If it's not... Don't grit it out. Don't say, I just need to be more self-control. Next time I'll just be more peaceable. Next time I'll just be more patient. Whatever it is, that's not the answer. If that's not what comes out when your cup is spilled, go back to the gospel. The good news that Jesus has paid the price. That Jesus has paid your debt. That you are fully known, yet fully loved by God because of Jesus. You cannot be any more loved by God, nor can you be any less loved by God because of what you do. Revisit that daily. Continue to apply that to your relationships. That's the gospel. That Jesus has done what you could not. That Jesus accomplished the fruit of the Spirit. That Jesus accomplished the law of God that he fulfilled it all in your place. And by faith, you believe in his work and that you've traded places. When he's taken your punishment and you've taken his joy as a son. Believe in that. Go back to that. When you don't see the fruit of the Spirit, you're living in the flesh. It's time to go back to the spiritual. It's time to go back to the gospel. Church, it's very easy when our cup is spilled to run off the grid like David Austin did. When relationships are hard, when we've been wounded, when I don't see fruit in my life. But God has given us these relationships. God has given us the church to show us our love for him. And how the gospel is being pressed into our heart. I urge your church, do not go off the grid in your relationships. Turn back into the church and consider how the gospel is at work in your life. By the way you are involved in the church. Father, thank you for your church. The beauty of relationships under the common union of Christ. Something that we celebrate even as we celebrate the meal that we're about to participate in that we have a common union, a common fellowship with you because of Jesus as a community. Father, let us enjoy all the more this community meal as we bask in the work of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.